Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're, we're looking at Psalm chapter 2, and we're going to look at one of my favorite questions, and it's the question of why does God laugh? Do you know that God laughs? Well, David records it right here. This is Psalm chapter 2, and before we dive in, I want to encourage you, uh, the Church Center app, it's so important, but there's a Sunday morning button at the very bottom of it. If you just press it, it has the notes in there, it has uh, the scriptures in there, it has reflection questions, a lot of other things. So that's a great way to follow along. So let's, uh, let's look at this as we look at that question, why does God laugh? You ready to laugh? Laugh with me or at me, I don't really care. But Psalm chapter 2 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. (laughs) The one enthroned in heaven, he laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will, pro- I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. So Lord, as we dive now into your word, Lord, may it open our eyes to who you are today. We would know you and experience you. So Lord, anoint me today as I bring this your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Well, as we look at this psalm, I've read this psalm so many times, but this past week as I was diving into it, the key word that stood out to me was that word laugh. And you know, maybe it's because of where I grew up. Many of you know I'm Canadian, but I come from a very special part of Canada. It's that northeast corner of Canada, Newfoundland, right? This is uh, iceberg season. The tourists come in to see the icebergs. They have icebergs so big that they can actually land a helicopter on it, you know, uh, have fun with that. I've seen them topple, but I'm sure those are safe. But it's a, it's a beautiful area, wonderful area. But I, I think laughter stands out so much, especially to me, because one of the many things Newfoundland is known for, apart from just its beauty and the wilderness and the nature and icebergs and polar bears, it's also known across Canada for its laughter. That's why often when I walk through, if I meet somebody from Canada and I tell them that I'm from Newfoundland, they say, oh, you're a Newfie. I'm like, I immediately know that they're Canadian because we are known for our jokes and people will, make, will, will actually tell jokes about Newfoundlanders, but they're jokes that we wrote. <laughs> and that we sold to them in books. There are all these books of Newfoundland jokes because we embrace humor, we, we, we embrace that ability to laugh at ourselves. Uh, it was one of the quick lessons I had to learn growing up. So as a Newfoundlander who appreciates humor, 
it doesn't surprise me that God laughs. It doesn't surprise me that he laughs. God is the creator of all things, and the Bible is filled with accounts of joy and of people getting together and laughing. And every Sunday when I get with all of you, we laugh at each other. We have a good time with one another. We go through. Pastor Tiffany's laughing right now. I mean, it's right. We enjoy it. It's part of the body of Christ. But it brings up the question that as we look at this, I want us to look at the question. The main question that we're going to address in this psalm today is, why does God laugh? With everything else in the scripture, why does he laugh? So before we dive into that, I want to look at just a little bit of background on this psalm. Because the, this psalm, it begins, David asks this rhetorical question. And the question he asks is the question, why? He says, why do the nations conspire and why do the peoples plot in vain? See, to understand his question, it's helpful to understand and to remind ourselves who David is. Some of you may know his story very well. Some of this might be a new story. But King David, he grew up knowing about God. He grew up under a father who knew God and walked with God. And as a result, King David, he walked with God. King David, he experienced God. He experienced all the benefits. He experienced uh, all, the, all the provision that comes from that. And then he grew up later to be king of a nation, the nation of Israel, that when we look at the Bible, we see that the purpose of the nation of Israel was that God set apart this people in order to reveal who he is. The primary goal of the nation of Israel was to reveal God to the world so that all would know him. And this reveals the very nature of God. God's desire is that we would not just know about him, but that we would know him, that we would walk with him, that we would have communion with him. See, there's no secret to who God is. That's why Paul says it so clearly in the book of Romans He says that what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that, and Paul says this, it's a big statement. Paul says that no one is without excuse. God's revealed himself. It's all laid out there. And so because of all this, because God is so well known, David's rhetorical question, I think it reflects the fact that he's, he's baffled by the response of all the other people. He's, he's baffled by the response of all these other kings and rulers. And so he begins his psalm by asking why. See, in the era of King David, he was surrounded by kings that actually worked hard to remove God from every, every sector of their life, their laws, their rules, everything, that nations were actually planning against God. And that's nothing new to us. I mean, we're in a nation today that unfortunately has gone that same way. Well, we have amazing teachers, and many who go here, we know that there are leaders in education that have worked hard to push God out. I remember growing up when, when prayer was actually outlawed from schools, when the Bible was actually pushed out of schools, when, when the fact that God as creator of all things was not even mentioned that it was pushed out. We see leaders in government today and, and that mock God and that they've removed his law as the basis of a healthy society. As it relates to morality, our society continues to push the idea that there should be no boundaries in sexuality. And there are leaders who continue to do this, even though when they look at the data, when they dive in, they find that we're not better off 
There's an ideology that was placed out there that if we do this, if we get rid of God, it's going to be a better place. Things are going to be better. We're going to have this utopia. But when you look at the data, when you look at are we healthier, are we happier, what, whatever markers you want, we're not better off. We're actually we're worse off. It's not working. And as we discussed last week, we even see that those who reject God, thinking they'll be happier, there's, there's that moment, there's that season, there's that initial hit of the drug, but when the drug wears off, we're worse for it. And yet, though we're more broken, though we're less happy, still, we blame God. We blame God for this. And, and so David asks, why? Why do the nations do this? Why are they doing that? And then just three verses in, he answers his rhetorical question. Because when someone asks a rhetorical question, they typically have the answer, don't they? <laughs> right? they? They ask you, and you're like, you're not really asking me a question. You know what's going on. He says it. He says, why do the nations do this? Psalm 2-3, he says, let us break their chains and throw off the shackles. In other words, the nations conspire because they view God as somebody who wants to ruin their fun. They view God as somebody who's just, who just wants to pin them down, that it's just about rules, that when you follow God, it's about chains, it's about being shackled. And do we like being controlled? No, not at all. We don't like being controlled. We don't, we don't like rules. That's why, what's the first word? I like to say that my kids' first words was, was the word dad. Because every time I went to them, I was like, daddy, daddy. You know, how many other dads did that? That righteous, holy thing makes the first word dad, right? So you're walking forward, you're doing that. But often the first word that kids know is, is the word no. It's the word no. And even as parents, you know, we see that, that, that little thread of disobedience or a big thread of disobedience that comes in because of sin. Our natural bent is to disobey. Is this new information for anybody? <laughs> Work in children's ministry. Your eyes will be open. Beautiful, beautiful children, but do our children need teaching? Absolutely. <laughs> I need teaching. That's why I lay the lure of the Lord before me every day, because we all struggle with it. It's, 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 that, it's that effect of sin in our lives. That's why parents work so hard to teach their children. And we work so hard to teach our children because everything we value in life has rules. Right? We talked about this several weeks ago. Everything we value in life it operates by a set of rules because rules were made to protect us, but rules were also made to help us to work together. The first thing, my bachelor's is actually an education degree. And in education, one of the first things they teach you is, is that before you can teach somebody, you first need to create an environment in which learning can take place. How many would say amen to that? Right, Morgan? Right? You can't teach anybody if they're not listening. You can't teach anybody until you kind of bring them in. And even like for a lot of our groups, a lot of our groups begin with what? With food. Because how do you get to the heart? It's through the stomach. <laughs> yeah, get a lot, preach it. What are we doing? We're creating an environment for learning. That's the importance of rules. This is true in economics, education. There's rules and relationships. You need to know how to treat people or, man, you will be alone and bitter. Economics, math, there's rules in architecture, there's rules in plumbing. If your plumber does not follow the rules, you're going to have leaks. And how many know that's like one of the banes of our existence, right? You get The water comes through, it destroys everything. One person ignoring the rules on I-5 messes up everything. How many know that, right? And there's some, it's getting crazier out there. 
Imagine when you have more people disobeying the rules. You ignore the rules of the road, at some point there's going to be an accident and someone's going to get hurt. Knowing all this, unfortunately, the history of humanity is a history of people who rebel against God and think they know better than God. Even God said that his own children have rebelled. God said, they refuse to keep my decrees and follow my regulations, even though obedience would have given them life. I mean, I could stand here all day and give example after example, but you know these examples. You have personal examples. So what is God's response to all this? Is God worried? Is he thinking, maybe I'm too strict? Maybe I need to back off. Maybe I need to change things. Not in the least. David says that God's response is laughter. <laughs> he laughs. He, he, said, he said, God laughs. And so very quickly this morning, there's a lot of reasons, but as I studied this, there were three reasons that stood out to me. Three reasons why, why God laughs, why in response to all this, it says that God sits and he laughs. Well, the first one that I want to talk about is that God laughs, first of all, because of who he is. God laughs because of who he is. And if you remember from our wisdom series in Immerse, we saw in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord, that awe, that wonder, that respect of the Lord, this is the beginning of all wisdom, and that knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, when we really know God, when we really see him, when we experience him, there's this holy fear that comes over us. And King David, he had an awareness of who God is. And we see this in his writings. And even though King David, he had many moments of failure in his life. Because we all make mistakes. It's not that the fact that we make the mistake, it's our response to it. And when you look at the life of King David, King David knew that there was no real life apart from God. And that when he failed, when he was confronted by his best friend, he returned to God. There was consequences, but there was also forgiveness. See, David, he knew all of his power, all his opportunity, all of his his victories that he had on the battlefield. He knew these came from God. And if you've never read through and studied the life of David, it is worth studying because we see from the very beginning, he was the baby of the family, he was a shepherd boy out on the field taking care of his dad's sheep and watching over them. Very lonely job and a very unaccountable job. I mean, you can get out there, you can do whatever you want. But he took it serious. And when the bear came, when the lion came, he killed them, he took care of them, but he gave credit to God. Because he knew who he was. And because David knew who he was, when David went to the front lines to the battle, when Israel was battling the Philistines, and he went there and he saw that the army was not confident in God, instead they were nervous about God and they were were pulling back and they had this fear of this giant that was there, David was shocked to see that Israel was intimidated. He said, how are they afraid of Goliath? And this actually brought up this holy anger inside of him. And he stepped forward and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then this little boy with a slingshot stepped up and said, if no one's going to fight him, I'm going to fight him. I'll step forward. He said, I will go. He said, because the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David was so confident that his older brother, the oldest brother, Eliab, he actually accused him of being conceited and, and angry at him and jealous of him. 
right? I've used this verse to justify me ignoring my older siblings, though that was wrong to interpret it that way. But he had such confidence. He showed up and he's like, what are you doing? See, David, he wasn't put off by this, but he knew God, and so he boldly went into battle. And he's, here's, what he, here's what he said to the Philistine army. He said, you come against me with your sword and your spear and your javelin. He said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord Almighty. He said the God, he probably didn't cry like I would. That's why God chose David. He said, but the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, he said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword, it's not by the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into my hands. How did he have this confidence? How did he have this confidence? He had this confidence because he knew who God was. He wasn't encouraged by his older brothers. He wasn't even encouraged by the kings or by his dad. But he knew God, and when he saw that God was being defied, he stepped up and said, if nobody will, I will. Because it's not me. It's God. And every great leader, I mean, you look at all the leaders through Scripture, they all knew this, and they all walked in this. They walked with God, and when the opportunity came up, they knew the battle is the Lord's. So when God looks down from heaven and he sees the nations conspire, he's like, I can send a little shepherd boy with a slingshot to take out all of you all. His response is, he laughs. I mean, this is the greatest mismatch because this is not even king against king. This is not even army against army. This is God, the God, the only God against a mere mortal. Who can stand in his presence? I mean, this is like, like, like a snail taking on a rocket. This is like a cat, no offense to the cat people, being thrown in with an orca. Go ahead, take him. There have been no human attacks by orcas, on, or, on humans by orcas in the wild, by the way. I love orcas. But a cat is no match for an orca. <laughs> but see, all these comparisons, they pale in, in comparison. That'll be your main takeaway from the word of the Lord today. <laughs> What'd you learn today? A cat cannot take on an orca. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. See, we have, it's laughter, so you've got to laugh a little bit. That's why God laughs, because it is just as silly to think that we can take on God, to think that we can defy God. When you think of all that God is, it's, it's sillier than that. It's like, he's, he's, just, he's laughing. He's like, when you know who God is, you understand why God could laugh. So God laughs because of who he is, the greatness of who he is. But I also believe that God laughs because of what he's done. Look at all the things that God has done. I mean, just think about it. I mean, God created the beautiful world that we live in. And he loved you so much, he brought you to the Pacific Northwest. And then he handmade every human being. 
He took some dirt and he made Adam. He took a rib and he made Eve. The Bible says that even while we're formed in our mother's womb, that God is there knitting us together, pouring in talents and passions and all these things for everybody. And then he trusts us with creation to be stewards over it. And not only that, God desires to walk in a close relationship with you, with me, with everybody, even though he's the great I am. He wants to walk with you and to be known by you, to speak to you, to listen to you, to celebrate with you, to mourn with you when you mourn, to celebrate and laugh when you laugh. The Bible says he gives us strength when we are weak and he gives us peace and rest to our souls when we're overwhelmed. And not only that, when we mess up, when we We've been given all these gifts and we mess it up and we trash it and we rebel against God and we mistreat God. God makes a way for us to be reconciled to him. He sends his son to pay the debt that we could never pay and that now as we confess our sin, Jesus, I'm sorry, fill me, fill my life with your presence. He does it. He does it. And now after we die, the Bible says that when we die, for those of us who know him, God's created this place called heaven that beats everything that we see, that nothing we see, nothing we experience can even compare to what heaven will be like for eternity. And if that's not enough, but wait, there's more. The Bible says that when we surrender our life to Christ, he fills us with his spirit that he promises to guide us and to fill us with wisdom, and he wrote it all down in the Bible so we wouldn't forget. And we're surrounded today by so much information about who God is, and then he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us, to guide us, and to remind us when we forget, to give us wisdom, to shape us, to transform us, and he promised never to leave us and to never forsake us. And Isaiah 61 even says, and we sang this earlier, that he gives us beauty for our ashes He gives us joy for mourning, praise for despair. What an exchange, right? And not only only that, but we see in the Word of God that not only does God offer us a great deal, but the Word of the Lord says that He's patient with us in accepting it. He's patient with us. Even though it's so overwhelmingly better than anything we have, God is patient to give us time to understand, yes, this is a great deal. That's why it says in 2 Peter, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. It says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That we live in this period of grace. See, we reject God, we ignore God, we doubt God, we mock God, and yet, He still gives us the opportunity, all of us, to make things right. Let me ask you, who else does this? I don't. Do you? I mean, I get hurt. Anybody here ever get hurt? Right. My sister told me when I was six years old, singing up in front of the Sunday school class, she's like, Dwayne, everybody back here is laughing at you. And that was a pain of death. (laughs) It was a grudge I held. (laughs) I lose friends. I need counseling. But God doesn't. 
I need to work through forgiveness. I need to work through, oh, yes, I need to bring them back, or, or they need to forgive me. And we, we struggle with this. That's why there's wars. That's why there's so much pain in our life, because it's hard for us to forgive each other. That's not God. God promises that in the moment we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That no matter how far away you walk from God, ignoring him, rebelling him, whatever you've done, whatever you've said, as soon as you turn around, guess who's there? It's God. Jesus described it in this series of parables of the lost coin, of the lost sheep, and then he gives this beautiful parable of the prodigal son. Right? The youngest son who had a wealthy dad, and he goes to the dad and he says, Dad, I want my money now. Now that inheritance was supposed to wait until after the dad died. And in that culture of that day, what that meant, if you went to your dad and said, I want the inheritance now, it's like telling your dad, I wish you were dead. Imagine that. Dad, I just want your money. You're going to die someday. I wish you were dead now. Can you just give it to me now? And the dad did. He gave it to him. Prodigal son leaves, goes to the city. He's got bags of money. His dad's dead to him, and he parties, and he gets the, the friends, not real friends, but friends that come to him, and, and they party it up, and they go through, and they, he does everything his dad told him not to do. And he loses it all. He loses the friends, and he ends up in the pig pen, eating the food that they give pigs. And when a famine came and that laid out, he's sitting there, did everything, spoiled everything, wished his dad was dead. But who does he think about? His dad. He's like, you know what? My dad treated his staff better than this. Maybe I can go back and just be a part of his staff. So he goes back to the dad, thinking he's going to have to beg and plead. But in the middle of his brokenness, I love how the how Luke records the response of the dad. The dad was waiting for him. The dad was looking for him. Luke 15, 20, it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That meant he was looking for him. And he felt compassion, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. This is a guy that was in the pig's pen. Ran, embraced him, And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring me the best robe. Put the robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. That means this is my son. And put shoes on his feet. And he said, bring the fattened calf and kill it because we are going to eat and we are going to celebrate. For this was my son who was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Who else does that? My bank has never done that. (laughs) Nobody does that. He forgave him. He brought him in. You squandered it, but you're back. You're mine. This is how God treats us. This is how he treats us. And yet, people conspire. And they rebel against God and they ignore God. They look at the data and they say, even when you don't believe in God, when you follow his rules, life is better. We know this. People have done this. 
and yet we reject Him. See, when we think about all the things that God has done for us, and yet we would rebel, God laughs. He's like, and it's not a, it's, not, it's, like, a, it's like that laugh, you know, that laugh that's just like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? You ever had a little, a little child to you come do something? You're just like, <laughs> I laugh at, at my kids a lot. And the older I get, the more they laugh at me. <laughs> Dad's in the backyard with a slingshot in his bathrobe. What's he doing back there? See, God laughs. He's like, what are you doing? So because of everything he's done, because of who he is, this last reason that I want to wrap up with today. See, God laughs because of where he is. Isaiah 40 One of our favorite passages, it says, haven't you heard? Do you not understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? To the words he gave you before the world began? Then Isaiah asked a question, are you so ignorant? And he says, God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below him are like grasshoppers to him. They're like grasshoppers to him. Isaiah goes on to say, he spreads out the heavens like a curtain. He makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world. He brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them, and they wither. And the wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up to heaven. Who created the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each star by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is an Everlasting God, one of my favorite songs. The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of all heaven and earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. He gives strength to the powerless. And even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who what? Trust Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and never faint. So when we look at all this, because of who God is, who is He? He's all-powerful. And because of everything that He's done, and because where He sits, which is above all things, When we respond in rebellion to all of that, it's laughable. I mean, don't you agree with that? Isn't it laughable that Almighty God, maker of everything, and He's done everything for us, and no matter where we go, we, we turn and He's there. Why would we conspire? Why would we not trust Him? It's laughable. 
But as we end today, we need, we need to pay careful attention because the laughter is brief. The laughing quickly ends because there are consequences to our actions. There's consequences to our rebellion. See, when we go against God, the Bible says that we are like clay going against a rod. It's like a grasshopper going against a boot. See, God's plan, his will, his way, it will go forward. And so David goes on after saying that God laughs. He says, but you got to hear this. He says, but he rebukes them in his anger. And he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. David said, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And he appeals to the kings. He says, be wise, be warned. Serve the Lord with fear, that awe, that wonder, that wisdom word. And celebrate his rule with with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction because his wrath, he's a loving God, but he's a just God. His wrath will flare up in a moment. But then David said, blessed are all to take refuge in him. So my question to all of you today is, when the laughter stops, where will you stand? When the laughter stops, where do you find yourself standing today? See, sin has a season. Every drug has an initial hit. But the Bible also issues a warning. Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, don't be misled. In other words, don't be deceived. You cannot mock the justice. We like justice applied to that guy racing on I-5. But when it hits home, it says you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live to only satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. In other words, you will be destroyed. See, God doesn't laugh because he's a just God. And he also, his, his, his laughter stops. He does laugh, but his laugh, laughter comes to an end because he knows that just like that child coming, I may laugh at it at first, but if that goes unchanged, you, you know that that child has a rough road ahead of him. Because see, God takes no pleasure in this. Jesus wept over Israel. And in Genesis 6, 6, it says that when God looked at the rebellion of humanity, it, it, it broke his heart because he loves us. He loves you. See, nothing breaks a parent's heart more than when their child rebels. Right, parents? Man, when your child's hurting, you're hurting. When you see them go down a path with them, you're walking down that path just like that prodigal dad, and you're just, you're just there going, I can't make you turn around. But boy, when you turn around, (laughs) look who's here. Let's take a moment to examine our lives today. Amen. Lord, we come to your altar. 
You know, the altar, that's a place of sacrifice. Coming to Jesus is a complete sacrifice, right? You can't just put part of yourself down and go, I'll just give this part. <laughs> I'll give this part. It is complete surrender to God. It's all or nothing. But that's how it is with everything, isn't it? Anything that's worth anything, whether it's marriage or education, whatever, everything, it's like, I'm going to pour myself into this. It's all or nothing. Any area of compromise is a crack in the foundation. You know, I had a pastor one time. He used to say, Jesus is either Lord of all your life or he isn't Lord of anything in your life. He's Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. Amen. Would you stand with me today? Let's just give the Lord thanks. If that's standing, if that's speaking to the Lord, lifting your hands, just give the Lord thanks for what he's done, for who he is, for what he's done for where he sits and where he's invited us to. Father, we give you thanks. Who can ever thank you enough? Who can praise you enough and give you half the glory you deserve? But God, we commit here today to serve you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength. Transform us, God. Equip us, God. Enable us, Lord, that as we walk, when we hear your voice, we will obey whatever the cost. You said, we need to consider it, and we need to give it all. We need to follow you. So we give it all to you, oh God. We trust you. We trust you. We know as we do that, Lord, we take on those words that you spoke through Isaiah, that they that wait upon the Lord, that's a trust word, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not faint. Lord, we're ready to do that. So we wait on you. We trust you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being with us today. A powerful word, a word I'm living out. Let me encourage you, though. If the Lord has done something in your life today, and he has, if you've seen it, tell somebody about it. Invite them to lunch or even just now say, can I tell you what the Lord is telling me about? There's somebody in this room you can trust. Somebody in this room you can talk to. Share the word of the Lord. And then tell it to somebody who's not connected to God. Say, do you know who God is? Do you know his desire for you? Pray for those around you and pray for openings. Amen. How many, that's your desire this week, that the Lord would bring those opportunities your way. Anybody want to share the love of Jesus? Anybody? I'm being serious. You walk through praying, Lord, I'm lifting my hands. Lord, show me people this week who need you. We are in one of the most unreached cities in America. So, Father, speak through us. Holy Spirit, give us a new heart for those around us. Maybe it's people that we've shared the word and maybe they laughed at us. <laughs> Father, give us a new instilled passion for loving this world. Give us opportunities. Give us the words. Give us the ways Help us to listen and help us to walk in the ways that you walked. And Lord, to invite them to be a part of the family of God, as family connection. So we love you, Lord, and we give you praise in your name. Amen. Amen. Walk that way and see what the Lord will do. Thank you for being here today. There's no rush to get out. Hang out. Share the story. This is our benediction, though. Let's say this as we leave here today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. Love you very much. God bless you all.